so what I want to do this morning is, is talk about the miracles, particularly in Mark and what's unique about the way they're presented in Mark. And I want to close up uh, with uh, Bartimaeus. So let's, let's, let's talk about uh, miracles. We, I hinted, uh, hinted at it last night, okay? I'm going to refer to these as the unmiraculous miracles. So I'm not saying, but I'm not saying they're not incredible miracles, okay? Raising somebody from the dead, not too shabby, right? Jesus has a pretty good gift set, right? Uh, but what I'm saying is, and I think this is a self-evident truth. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Our country's based on the fact that there are certain truths that are really obvious, I don't have to argue you into them, and that we should all be free is a self-evident truth, right? Uh, and by the way, if you're in the military, I think to give your life uh, to, 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 to make other people free who you don't even know is a pretty Christ-like thing. So if you're in the military, God bless you. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> so I hold these truths to be self-evident. Jesus does his miracles in very unmiraculous ways especially compared to the other miracle workers of his day. And we have detailed accounts of what other healers did and what other miracle makers did. And in, in the Old Testament, we have, you know, uh, this record of how miracles are done. Uh, I suggest to you that when Jesus does a miracle, he always points away from himself. He always wins praise for God. Because when Jesus does a miracle, what, what do people do? They praise God. There's one exception. There's always one exception to mess up my theory, Okay. The one exception is when Jesus calms the, uh, the sea, uh, the, uh, the storm of the Sea of Galilee, and we we're told there that his, his disciples worshipped him. Okay, that's the only time. Otherwise, he does a miracle. He always wins praise for God. He always points away from himself. He'll say, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. And I'm, I'm suggesting to you that I really think we can get closer and closer and closer to knowing Jesus' heart and what kind of person he is. If we'll listen, if we'll love God by listening to his word and just Try to understand why he does certain things the way he does certain things. That's, at least I'm, that's kind of where I'm, I'm betting all my money that, that, that that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's true. I hope and believe and I trust that's true. Uh, so I, I want to start by looking at the two miraculous feedings uh, in Mark, uh, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, you know, we need to get this straight. You know, there were two miraculous fe feedings, right? And they're completely different. I'll show you how they're completely different. Uh, there are two storms on the Sea of Galilee, right? There's one demonic storm that almost kills them. And then the second one is just a contrary wind. That's when Jesus walks on the water. That happens twice, okay? Jesus gets anointed twice by two different women, and we've confused those. That happens twice. He tears up the temple twice. You realize he did that twice? In John, the very first public thing Jesus does is tear up the temple. And in the synoptics, the very last public thing he does is tear up the temple. Now, more liberal scholars will say, well, John just put it in the wrong place. And my academic response to that is, duh. It happened twice. It's clearly two different things. So there's things like that that we kind of we need to get, uh, get straight. And there were two miraculous feedings. The first one is in chapter uh, 6 uh, of, John, of, of Mark. And let's look at that one. And I think, I think it's the feeding of the 4,000 that's in all four Gospels. But this is the feeding of the 5,000, 630. Um, Jesus, uh, he's once again, he's trying to get away. He's trying to get away from the crowd. Uh, he's just found out about the death of his cousin, the meaningless death of his cousin John, who has his head chopped off and given to a dancing girl. Uh, and he tries to retreat. He goes to the other side uh, of the lake. So this is uh, 30. Uh, 
uh, 6.30, that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. We don't have time for this. I wish we did. The last discovery my mentor, William Lade, made before he died, he was studying right up until the day he died. He discovered that between Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter, chapter 6 is what he called a cycle of discipleship. And basically, if you look at those passages, Jesus is discipling his disciples in 3 through 6. He's taking them through various uh, experiences, and, and they're learning uh, how to deal with uh, disease and death, how to deal, deal with rejection from your family. It's all these lessons he's teaching them. And then towards the end of 6, he sends them out on their first mission, and they come back, and they report back to Jesus everything they've done everything that they've uh, uh, said, the work of Jesus and the word of Jesus. And this has just happened. They've just come back, and they've had an incredible mission. You know, very, very, very successful mission. Even the demons submit to us. See, it's been real, a good trip. Uh, but it's really important, Bill would say, you know, whenever we go out on a mission for God, it's all daily, it's always important to report back at the end of the day. Why? Because he sends us out under his authority. We are men under authority the authority of God's Word, right? So at the end of the day, as stupid as this sounds, I'll say, okay, Lord, this is what I did today. I, I spoke to these men. They were really cool. And I did this, and, and I talked about Mark, and, and I hope you were honored. That's just me reporting back, because that's what the disciples do right here. They report everything they've said, the Word of Jesus, not their Word, Jesus' Word, and the work of Jesus. Not their work, Jesus' work. Okay, so we got we to... I wish we had time to talk about that. So... Um, they reported to him all they had done and taught, word and work. Then because so many people were coming, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Now, if you've been reading big blocks of, of text, you'll say, well, that sounds familiar. That was in 3.20. So many people are coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. That's when Mary thinks Jesus is out of his mind. He's not eating anymore. And me and the brothers are going to come and take him away from the presence of the crowd. Okay. So, so, that's, uh, that's the, so that's the end of this cycle, the reporting back. Um, so Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So that's the point. Okay, that's what we're doing. John, my, my cousin's died. You just come back from mission. We're all exhausted. Let's get away from the presence of the crowd by going across the tip of the lake. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. See how that works? It doesn't work to try to get away from the crowd in this little world. They see you. Uh, if, you're, if there's a boat on the Sea Galley, you can always see it. And they run around the shore, and they're waiting for him when he gets there. Now, I don't know what your attitude would be, but my attitude would not be good. If I'm tired and I just want to get away and rest, right, in this bottomless need of this crowd, um, uh, verse 34, but here's, here's how Jesus responds. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Now, that's the, one of the major, major differences between us and him, at least for me and him. I won't confess for you. Uh, because they were like sheep uh, without a shepherd, and that's a reference to numbers. So be, he began teaching them many things. That is why he's come. He's come to tell the good news of the gospel, right, to announce that the kingdom has come. In him, the kingdom has come. And he's the king. Okay? Um, 
By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, to this, and they said, uh, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, I think with a little twinkle in his eye, you give them something to eat. He, he, he had to have been smiling when he said that. Okay, there's, there's uh, 4,000 or 5,000 men and probably another four or 5,000 women and children. And they got, you know, nada. They got zip. And he says, you feed them. I mean, like, go to the Super Bowl. Stand in the middle of the Super Bowl and have, you know, a hot dog. And then say, okay, feed these people. It's kind of the same thing. I'm trying to appeal to your Super Bowl imagery. I know that's an image that'll... <laughs> but he, he always calls us to do impossible things, right? Bill Lane said it this way. If you write anything down, write this down. God always calls us to the level of our own inadequacy, Okay? He always calls us to the level of our own inadequacy. So we'll realize that if he doesn't show up to help and make it happen, we're going to fail miserably. See, don't just do what you're good at. Now, I'm not saying, young guys, don't go to college and get good at what you're good at. I'm not saying that. But it's not just about doing what you're good at doing. It's putting, you should always be right on the edge where if Jesus doesn't show up, you're going to fail miserably. That's, that's where he puts the disciples. So give him a little wink in his eyes. You, you give him something to eat. And uh, I would have loved to hear the language. I think it gets filtered. Mark probably filters it a little bit. Uh, they said to him, it would take eight months' wages uh, to feed them. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give them something to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Now John tells us they stole this from a little boy. Okay, so they, they didn't even have that much. They ripped this off from this little kid. And what you need to know is these are, and John, John tells us these are barley loaves. And barley in, in the Mishnah has said that's, what, uh, that's the bread of animals. Men don't eat barley. It's, when, when Roman soldiers were being punished, they made them eat barley bread. So it's crummy bread. Let's just say it's crummy bread. And the fish are like little sardines. So we got little you know, kind of worthless fish and crummy bread. So even what we got is, is woefully inadequate. We had to steal that from this little kid who's over there crying because <laughs> those, guys, those guys took my lunch. So Jesus directed them uh, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, and that detail is only in Mark. Um, Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Blessed art thou, eternal God, our Father, King of the universe, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. That's the rabbinic blessing. May, may or may not be what he said. So he looks up to heaven, which, by the way, is his attitude in prayer. Every time we see Jesus praying, he, he looks up when he prays. We look down when we pray. We bow our heads. I'm not saying that's wrong, but if I'm looking at the life of Jesus, I've noticed, well, that's not how he prays. He looks up when he prays. So give her, you know, give her a try. Um, so he gives thanks and broke the loaves. Did you miss it? The miracle just happened. How does he feed, uh, does he feed uh, 5,000 people? He says the blessing. Okay, there is no miracle language in this text. Liberal scholars will say there's no miracle. People were just generous. They saw the generosity of the little boy, and they became generous, all 5,000 of them, and shared their food with each other. That's the liberal, um, I won't say what it really is, but that's the liberal argument. <laughs> but, 
But they don't, under, they don't understand the unmiraculous nature of how Jesus does his miracles. Now, it's a great miracle, but there's no miracle language there. Why? Because he does his miracles in a very unmiraculous way. There's another miracle that's coming, and it's really interesting, I think. So he, he says the blessing, and they pass it out. Um, uh, then he gave the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. That's the miracle. Let me talk, that, let me talk about this. Um, in the other miracle, uh, they pick up seven basketfuls. In this miracle, they pick up 12 basketfuls. And here's, here's the key, and I'm not making this up. I, mean, I'm, I don't want this to be true because I want it to be true. This is, this is reliable. I'll, on the, the, those rare times when I give you something reliable, I'll, I'm so proud of it, I'll tell you. Uh, in these two different accounts, there are two different words for basket that gets used. This word is the word kofinos, kofinos. A kofinos is a little lunch pail basket. It's a thing that you put a string through and you, you hold around, you put around your shoulder to keep your lunch in, okay? Okay, so 15,000 people probably have eaten and they canvas and they pick up the leftovers and all they got is 12 little basketfuls, okay? That, but that's a miracle. That's a miracle of perfect provision, perfect provision. First time I ever went to Israel, I'm sitting in the, in the hotel, and my wife calls from back in Tennessee. We got two toddlers at this point, and the well has broken. The well's broken. And uh, it's $1,200 to fix it. We don't have $1,200. So she, you know, what do I do? I've got these babies in diapers. Blah, blah. And of course, I'm sitting in a nice hotel in Israel, you know, waiting for my seaweed wrap and, you know, the, my massage is at four or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I said, I, I, all we can do is pray. Uh, that's all I got. That's all I got is prayer. So that shows my attitude, doesn't it? All I could do is pray. So we pray on the phone. Lord, you know, you know we need this help. And l literally, as I'm putting the, the receiver back on the phone, there's a knock on the door. And it's the producer. I was there doing a video series on the life of Jesus. And it's the producer of the video. His name's uh, Fred Hollis. And I don't get paid for these things. They provide me with videos, and I sell them at concerts, and that's how I get paid. Okay. So anyway, Fred says, you've been here 10 days. And you, you know, you worked really hard, and we feel bad that you, we didn't pay you anything. So I have a check for you for $1,200. Okay. That's, that's perfect provision. Now, now, abundance is a cool thing. I, you know, if it had been $12 million, <laughs> if it had been $12 million, I would not be here right now. <laughs> right? I would be morbidly obese, channel surfing in front of my big screen TV back in Tennessee because I'm that, I'm as that, that massive of a sinner. No, but the Lord of the universe knew that this knucklehead needed $1,200. Now, I, to me... Uh, forgive me if you disagree. I think it's a greater miracle than abundance. He knows the hairs on your head. He, he knew exactly what I needed. And so I think the point of the miracle of this fi first feeding, the feeding of the 5,000, is perfect provision. They've just come back from mission. They're learning all these things about what it means to serve God. They feed all these people. And you know, must, they must be starving. So Jesus says, okay, pick up the leftovers. And there's 12 little baskets. How cool is that? So there were 12 basketfuls. Uh, the number uh, of the men who had eaten uh, was uh, 5,000. Okay, that's the, that's the feeding of the, of the five. Let's look at the feeding of the four. That's chapter 8. 
And it's a completely different miracle. Completely different miracle. Um, uh, during those days, 8-1, another large crowd, and Mark, there's always a large crowd. It's the Greek word aklos, which can be translated mob. It's just a mob of people. Okay? During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And what you need to know is Jesus is on the pagan side of the lake right now. This is the side of the lake with the gathering demoniac. Okay? Um, if I send them away hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a very long distance. So there for you, men, that's the heart of Jesus. You know, he, he's got the kingdom on his mind. He's got all these great things. He, he knows exactly what's going to happen to him in about a year that he's going to be crucified. He knows all these things. But he's worried that these people are hungry. Right? They've been with me three days. So we need to take, we need, guys, we need to take care of these people. That is who Jesus is. Right? That's the, that's the compassion of Jesus. So um, his disciples answered, but we're in this remote place. See, in the, in the first one, they said, send them to the, the local towns so they can buy bread. Well, they're not, they're not any local towns here. They're in the middle of the wilderness, okay? So his disciples answered, but this is a remote place. Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he'd taken up the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples. Did you miss it? The miracle happened. He just multiplied the loaves enough to feed, what is it, 4,000 people. Any lightning bolts from his fingertips? Watch this, guys. No, that is not how Jesus does his miracles. He does them in an unmiraculous way. He points away from himself, and he wins praise for God. That's how he does his thing. And my point is, that is still how he does his miracles. We keep looking for the lightning bolts from the fingertips. Let me tell you, he, he's doing unmiraculous, incredible, incredible unmiraculous miracles, changing people's hearts, providing perfect provision for us. Daily bread. Do you see? Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, have we already had that this morning? Do you see what a miracle that is? So that we, if we see, if we understand how he does it, we'll have a new appreciation. We're all sort of living miracles. You know, I woke up this morning, and I, I was discipled in a black church, and there were formula prayers in the black church I never heard in the white church, like, thank you that I woke with the full use of my limbs. I never hear white people pray that, okay? Thank you that I, I awoke in my right mind. I awoke in, from the very image of death in my right mind. We never prayed that. Thank you that when I went to the kitchen, there was food in the cupboard. Well, of course there's food in the cupboard right in my world, but in this world that I was discipled in, it was, not, it was not always that way. There's a whole different level of gratitude when people open their eyes to see the way God really works in the world. And we Americans are the worst. We're, we're, the, wor we're the worst. Sorry, no condemnation. I'm not going to put condemnation on you. Okay, so um, he told the crowd to sit on the ground. He, uh, he gave thanks. Uh, verse 7 they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. There's no word of the people going, wow, where did this come from? I don't think they even knew a miracle happened. I, I suggest to you there is no miracle language in this, in this text. I'm not saying a miracle didn't happen. 
but it's just the way he does it, okay? Um, afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls. Now, this is a different word for basket. It's the word spheros. You know, the, when Paul is led over the wall in a basket, it's a spheros. This is a man-sized basket. So the, 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 the byproduct of this miracle is massive abundance. See, two completely different miracles. One is perfect provision. Praise God. One is this unbelievable, seven man-sized basket. That's a lot of bread, right? But you see, these are two completely different miracles. And if we'll love God by listening to His Word and engaging in our imagination, there's a whole lot more going on uh, than, than, uh, than sometimes we, we, we realize. So seven basketfuls of the broken pieces were left over. About 4,000 men were present uh, uh, having... Yeah, am I reading the right passage? Yeah, having, having, uh, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Okay. Now, there's a recap of these miracles, just in case, you know, you think I'm playing free and easy uh, with this. Uh, he, uh, Jesus will recap these miracles in, in the boat. And I, I can't find where I wrote that down. Uh, recap. Where's the recap? Uh, 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 uh. Help me. Um, verse 18, thank you. There, yeah, thank you. So here's the recap. I'll start in 17, 8, 17. Uh, after aware of their discussion, they're talking about bread. Uh, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? We're going we're gonna to look at this verse in a second. But uh, verse, eight, uh, uh, verse 19 don't you remember when I broke the loaves uh, for the 5,000? How many basketfuls? And it's the specific word for basket that he uses for the 5,000. The pieces, did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many spheroi? He uses the different words. So he's recapping it. Uh, seven. And he goes, you still don't understand. Guys, you just don't get it, do you? Okay. So that's, those are two, unmar- but we, I, I, I'm just going to run over a few more. And in, in 121, he simply commands the demonic, you know, leave. No lightning bolts from his fingertips, no magic, no incantations, no uh, herbs, uh, none of that kind of thing. We already saw the passage of the leper in 140. He just says, be clean, be clean, and he's clean. Harder to uh, cleanse a leper than to raise the dead. Uh, the paralytic <coughs> in 2 1, uh, what does he say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven. And he puts, puts this connection between forgiveness and healing. Okay? Uh, and they call him on it. He goes, Well, which is easier to say? Right? So he, 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 he pops back in a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good way. Uh, 535, the storm. What does he do? How does he sto- uh, calm the storm? He just says, Be muzzled. Kind of wipes the sleep out of his eyes. You know, be still. The disciples go, holy cow, who is this guy? Uh, uh, In five, uh, the little girl who's dead, what does he say? Little girl, wake up. Jesus always refers to death as sleep, and no one ever understands what he's talking about. Lazarus, he's asleep. Well, if he's asleep, then he'll get better. He goes, no, he's dead, and I'm glad I wasn't there. Okay? How kind of a little harsh, you know, just a little harsh. Um, but yeah, he goes to the little girl and says, um, 
Talitha really means little lamb. Little lamb, get up. It's really tender. Um, the sidebar. Um, l- note the level uh, of expectation. L- l- listen really closely to that story. You know, they come to Jesus, and, the, uh, and he says, look, my daughter's about to die. You need, you need to come help my daughter. So Jesus says, oh, obviously, yeah, I'm going to go. On the way, he's interrupted by the woman who touches the fringe and gets healed. You know, that's a whole other thing. Okay, and, and then he's, he's on his way to, the, the, to Jer- Jairus' house, and a messenger comes, and what does he say? She's dead. Don't bother him. Why bother him? She's dead. Now, there is an expectation behind that statement. What's the expectation? If he's sick, I mean, if she's sick, he can heal her. But now that she's dead, don't bother him, right? Don't bother him. I mean, do you get that? Zero expectation that he can do anything. And Jesus goes, look, he whispers to him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Okay, and then he raises her from the dead. Uh, I, I encourage you to look at Acts 9.40. Peter uh, does this same thing. Interesting that this account is in Mark. Uh, remember what happens? Tabitha dies, and they send for Peter. Do you see how there's a whole, after the resurrection, there's a whole new level of expectation. She's dead, and they send for Peter. And Peter raises Tabitha. He says exactly what Jesus said with one letter difference. Jesus says, Talitha, little lamb, get up. Peter says, Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, get up. Same, exact same uh, Aramaic. Uh, Only one letter difference. But do you see how it's a whole new world after resurrection? Do we have that new level of expectation? I don't know about you. I can, you know, cancer, prostate cancer? Oh, you know, multiple myeloma? Mm. Have a good life, right? No, we should have a whole new level of expectation. So that, that's, that, that passage, if you ever get called to preach on the last minute, that preaches itself. So I'll just give that to you. Um, the two feedings uh, that we looked at, Jesus walking on water, and did, did any of you notice what Peter leaves out, what the book of Mark leaves out in Jesus walking on the water? It leaves Peter out walking on the water. Have you noticed that? In the other gospel, Matthew, Matthew, you know, Jesus and Peter have this exchange. You tell me to come to you, and I'll come to you. It's this really odd statement Peter makes. He wants Jesus to say, you know, it's, that it's Jesus' idea that he walks on the water because Peter knows it ain't going to happen if it's my idea right? So you tell me to come to you, and then I'll come to you. In, in Matthew is what happens. And Peter walks on the water. In Mark, it, he leaves that out. Now, I used to think, well, Peter was proud, and he didn't want to, people to know that he sank, right? I, I don't believe that anymore. I think uh, this older apostle who's about to give his life for the Lord, in his humility, is the first miracle any disciple ever did, by the way. Peter's humble. He doesn't want them to read about him walking on water. Who cares? Jesus walked on the water. That's what, Pe- that's what Peter's interested in, okay? So, but even in, even in the telling of the walking on the water, that's a pr- pretty cool, cool miracle, right? Look at the detail in Mark. Mark says Jesus was walking past them. It's like he didn't get in the boat. He was just walking. It, it wasn't this big miracle. That was just the quickest way to get there. He wasn't going to go around the sea, around the shore. He just walked straight there. You know, it's, it, again, it's a very unmiraculous. Not that walking on the water is not a pretty cool miracle. Okay. Uh, and we can do this with the, virtually all the miracles of Jesus. What about the wedding of Cana? That's the first miracle in John. 
You know how that miracle? You know that miracle? What does Jesus do? He says, fill those water things up, those water jars, and give some to him. Did you miss it? That was the miracle. In fact, John says, only the slaves even knew a miracle happened. So this is consistent all through the Gospels. It's consistent all through the Gospels. He is, he is very subdued in the way he does his miracles, with two exceptions, and they're both in Mark. So let's look at them. Uh, the first one is 731. <clears throat> 731. Um, and Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. He's just had the discussion of the, t uh, the woman. Um, and he went through Sidon, uh, down to the Sea of Galilee. He, it's all, if you track this on a map, he's, he's trying to stay out of the Jewish area. He's going, Tyre and Sidon is pagan. He's going to go through there, and he goes, skirts around Galilee and then goes around to the pagan side of the lake. That's, that's what he's doing. He's avoiding the mob, okay? So, uh, so he goes down Tyre, down through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and went into the region of the Decapolis. That's the pagan side where the ten cities are. Uh, there's some people brought to him, uh, him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. Here's your big word for the day. Why use a, a little word that everyone can understand when you can use a big word that no one understands, right? Here's the word. Hapax legomena. Say that ten times fast. Hapax legomena. All that is, that's a word that only appears one time. Okay? The scholars call it a hapax. It's a hapax. You remember that from seminary? Completely useless word, right? It's a completely useless word. But this could hardly talk is a very strange construction. But what you need to know is, in the Greek Old Testament, that is the Septuagint, uh, this exact same odd little word appears in Isaiah 35. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of those who can barely talk, or who can barely hear, will be opened. It's the same construction. So, Mark has in mind this passage from Isaiah 35, 4. That's what that little weird word is doing. So he's deaf and can hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, that's what he does. He's not going to make a big show out of this, but look what Jesus does. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Now, if you've been listening closely, you're going to go, what's going on? Then he spit and touched the man's tongue, he looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he says, Ephaphtha. By the way, sidebar, only in Mark do we hear Jesus speak. He speaks his native Aramaic in Mark. So that, we just got to hear his voice. That's the word that came out of his mouth, okay? He's, so he sighs, Ephaphtha. Mark's going to translate it for you, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. But Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone. Do you see the consistency of this? But now let's go back to the, he sticks his fingers in his ears. Does Jesus need to do that? No, right? He's spitting? What's that? He's shouting stuff? If you've been listening, if you've been loving God by listening to his word closely, you're going to go, what the heck is going on? This is not how you do miracles. Okay, that's one. Here's the other one. Uh, this is the most irritating one. This is 822. 
8.22. He came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. See, same thing, away from the presence of the crowd. When he had spit on the man's eyes, ick, and put his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? Now, does that bother you? That should bother you. That should bother you. How does Jesus heal Bartimaeus, his blindness? Go. It just says the word go, and that opens his eyes. So what is this business about? Oh, and Okay, so do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people look, looking like trees walking around. I can simulate that. Okay? Does this bother you that Jesus didn't heal him all the way? It should bother you. Mark wants you to be bothered. See, that's the point. He, he trusts that we've been listening, that we've been reading big blocks. And what in the world is going on? So what do you, I see men like trees. Did Jesus not use enough spit, right? Did he not use, right? What is, I, I, you should be bothered by this. Okay. Okay, I'll beat that horse to death, didn't I? Um, I see men look like trees. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus said to him, don't go into the village, which is another way of saying don't tell anybody. Okay. Okay. Are you sufficiently bothered? Let me, let me read to you the verse that is exactly in the middle of these two stories. I suggest to you that Jesus' life is a parable. Your life is a parable. This is one of the keys to the Gospel of John. Did you know there's not a single parable in the Gospel of John? Not a single one. John is not interested in parables. He, he presents Jesus' life as a parable. So Jesus will say, I'm, I'm the light of the world, and then what does he do? He opens the eyes of a man born blind. Jesus will say, I'm the bread of life, and what does he do? He feeds 5,000 people. Jesus will say, I'm the life, and what does he do? He raises Lazarus from the dead. So his life is sort of parabolic, and so is your life. You, you need to learn to listen to your life because God is speaking to you by the people he brings in and out of your life and by the things that happen to you, right? And we, we don't listen to our own lives. Paul says that we are poemas. We are God's poems. He's writing the poem of your life, see? So uh, Jesus, the, I suggest to you that those two weird, irritating healings are, are an illustration of something that's going on in the lives of the disciples. And this is the verse that happens right between the two. This is uh, 817. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked him, why are you talking and having, about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but can barely hear? See, the gradual opening of the eyes of the blind man and the opening of the ears of the deaf man is a parable of the opening of the eyes and the ears of the disciples. See? It's, it is magnificent. It's magnificent. And it also sort of preaches itself, too. So there's your two, two, uh, two examples. Um, yeah, okay, I'm good. Now, I just want to do Bartimaeus, and then I'll, I'll shut up. Uh, Bartimaeus, he's in 10. I suggest to you that Bartimaeus is the disciple that Jesus has been looking for for three years. I suggest to you that Bartimaeus, I'll, I'll say something extreme that's kind of dumb. The, the Gospel of Mark is kind of all about Bartimaeus. I know that's a 
If, if you said that, that would, I'd be bothered by that. So, but since I said it, it doesn't bother me. Um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the impacts of the Gospel of Mark from Peter is if you read 1 Peter, Peter is very interested in the fact that you need to believe before you see. Right? 1 Peter, he says, though you have not seen him, still you have believed and are filled with this inexpressible joy. Right? So seeing without believing... Now, believing, sorry, believing without seeing is really important. In Mark, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. If you ask for proof, that shows there's a precondition in your heart that you're not going to believe, right? You don't say to the ultimate lordship of Jesus, prove it. I suggest that you not, you know, you not do that. I know there are examples of people in the Old Testament who do. I just don't think that's, you know, there are lots of bad examples in the Old Testament that you should not follow. Samson being the, one of the people that comes to mind, okay? Um, but Bartimaeus is the disciple who Jesus has been looking for for th- two and a half, three years. Uh, he's blind. He's never seen anything. And I, I want to look, look at that very quickly. Uh, then, then they came to Jericho. If you, if you go to Israel, you know that Jericho is at the bottom of the hill. Uh, Jerusalem is on this big ridge. It's like 1,200 feet above sea level. Jericho is 1,500 feet below sea level. Okay, it's the lowest p- spot on earth that you can stand and still breathe air. Okay? Even the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Pretty cool. Um, so they're down in Jericho. Jericho was the city of the priests. It was a Jewish city, at that, and now it's a Palestinian city. Um, they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, they're always there, this large crowd, we're leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus is Aramaic. Bar is Aramaic for son. Ben is Hebrew for son, so it's Aramaic. So we don't even know his name. We know his father's name. We don't know his name. Okay? So Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. Um, when he'd heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have Mercy on me. Okay. Um, Point one. Did you know that Bartimaeus is the only human, he's the only human in the Gospel of Mark who calls Jesus, Jesus? Ever notice that? I I hadn't. I read that someplace else and had to double check it. I, I don't read that closely. He's the only person who calls Jesus by his name in the whole Gospel. Now, he's blind. In Jesus' world, what does that mean? By like, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind, right? He's, he's, he is there because he, he deserves it, right? If you've got leprosy, you deserve it. That's this world of retributive justice, right, that Jesus has completely shattered. Okay. So he is, he is an unworthy person. He must have done something wrong, and he's begging. So in, in, from one point of view, he's the last person you want on your team. You don't want this guy on your team. Okay. He is also insistent, and I love this about Bartimaeus. They try to shut him up. He won't shut up, right? In his darkness, because he's blind, he hears, he's, you know, that this man's coming by and he's shouting, you know, you know, Jesus, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And very quickly, this word mercy is a big word. I've spent 10 years of my life on this one word. Uh, the Hebrew word is the word hesed. 
uh, and it's undefinable. In the, in the Bible, the word hesed, over eight English translations, this one word is translated 169 different ways. I've done the math. I've looked, I looked up, it's 250 times in the Old Testament. I looked it up in eight different translations. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Mercy, grace, loyalty, covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness. I mean, you go on and on and on. You know the word loving kindness? The word loving kindness was made up in 1535 by Miles Coverdale to translate the word hesed because nobody knew how to translate it. It's, it's this massive word. In, in the New Testament, it's usually Elios, mercy. It's usually mercy. Although Peter thinks it's glory. Peter quotes a passage from uh, the Old Testament that has the word hesed in it, and he uses the word glory. So it's a whole other idea in in Peter's Peter's mind. But the point is, here's my translation for the word. It takes me a sentence. Hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's hesed. In Exodus 34, when God reveals himself to Moses, which in my opinion, it's the most significant passage in the Old Testament. Why we don't all have that tattooed on ourselves, I have no idea. It's God telling us who he is, right? And the first word out of his mouth isn't glory or power. The first word out of his mouth is compassion. I'm compassionate. And he says, I'm full of hesed. I show hesed to a thousand generations. When he essentially reveals who he is, this word is on his lips twice, hesed. Big, big, big idea. If you have a verse memorized from the Old Testament, it has the word hesed in it. Trust me. Surely goodness and hesed will follow me all the days of my life. What does God require of the old man but to do justice, love, hesed? It's all through. Forgive me according to your hesed. Uh, It's all through there. Uh, So I suggest to you that this blind Bartimaeus, when when he's asking for mercy, he's asking for hesed. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing... I'm a blind guy. My blindness is a re- result of someone's sin. My parents are mine. You know, the, the, the rabbis taught that a, an infant could sin in the womb. Do you know that? That's how they explain birth defects. Because illness or sickness has to be somebody's fault, right? That's just how they work. This idea of it being a fallen world, a death-impregnated world, which it is, a disease-ridden world because of the fall, the rabbis didn't pick up on that. It's got to be somebody's fault. So an infant can actually sin in the womb. You know, there's not there nine months down there. It's dark. No telling what all you know goes on down there. <laughs> but my point is, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is asking for what he doesn't deserve, and that's the point. And that's what we got to get. That is what we have to get. Jesus, Son of David, give me what I don't deserve. Let me ask you a question. Do you want what you deserve? No. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. No, I won't, I won't want what I don't deserve, and I need to be willing to beg for it. Not that I need to beg. You know, when everyone tells me to shut up, I need to just keep going for it, okay? Give me what I don't deserve. So Jesus, son of David. So verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Then they, uh, so they said to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. That's Isaiah 2, Isaiah 35, uh, be strong, fear not, behold, your God has come to save you, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. It's Isaiah. Okay, so cheer up. Um, 
throwing his cloak aside. His cloak is what he catches the coins that he begs for with. So he leaves everything, leaves the money he's begged for, leaves his cloak. Uh, He jumped on his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Like, duh. No, Jesus wants to hear him say it. He's been looking for three years for someone who wants to see, right? He wants, he, he's, he's looking for someone who wants to see because we've, we've already seen these stories about someone who can barely see, right? I see men like trees. The disciples in their faith saw men like trees walking around. Their eyes were only gradually opened. So Bartimaeus is a big deal. So he says, I want to see. Uh, the blind man said, uh, Rabbi, I want to see. And here's how Jesus, here's the unmiraculous way Jesus heals him. Go. That's it, y'all. Go. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem in a few hours, he's got a blind guy on one side and a dead guy on the other side. Right? He's got Lazarus on one side. He's got Bartimaeus on the other side. So I suggest to you that this, this is, uh, Bartimaeus is our, a par- should be a paradigm for us. He's a paradigm for us. He's willing to ask for what he doesn't deserve. Um, the, the same thing happens in Luke, the centurion, which is my favorite story in Luke. The centurion, right? The, the Jews come to Jesus and say, you need to heal this guy's servant because he deserves it. Right? That's Judaism in a nutshell. I deserve it. The, the, servants, uh, the, the soldier sends his uh, friends to Jesus and says, hey, I don't deserve it, but I want you to do it anyway. Just say the word. And what does Luke say? What did Jesus, what happened to Jesus? He was amazed. Jesus goes, wow. How, would you like to make Jesus go, wow, wow. Man, Travis, I never saw that coming. Wow. Cool. And what did he do? What amazed him? He was willing to ask for what he, he acknowledged he didn't deserve. See, that's when we're going to move away from this old world of I've got to be good enough, right? I've got to keep the commandments. I've got to do all these things. That's not the gospel, y'all. That's not the freedom of the gospel. Jesus says, here's, here's abundant life. Here's the kingdom, right? I want to give this to you. And we need to have the boldness to say, I want what I don't deserve. And, and not shut up. Not shut up. Okay, that's, uh, that's all.